Virginia has won five of its last six going into Wednesday night's meeting with rival Virginia Tech. The Hokies, on the flip side, have lost five straight. We'll talk about all that and take a look around the ACC this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome to episode 99 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me as always, my co-host, the 14-time Sports Writer of the Year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. Hey, before we get into the basketball, though, uh, big weekends in, in both our households uh, as the, the Queens of the Castles celebrated birthdays. Uh, how did you celebrate Mrs. Teal's uh, birthday of, of the weekend? It was very much a, a family affair, Mike. Jill's birthday was Saturday, and I was lucky enough to have the day off and Jill went and uh, on her own got away from little bit and I and went to the gym and ran some errands and then in the evening we uh, gathered up with Jill's mom and went out to a great restaurant in Williamsburg well don't keep secrets what, what was the restaurant what'd you have I may need to put it on my list here oh it's called Waypoint Grill and it's right across the street from the back entrance of Kings Mill. It's very much of a, of a seafood place. And I had the bouillabaisse, and it was off the hook. Awesome. Well, happy birthday, Mrs. Teal. And uh, yeah, my wife had a birthday on Friday, and we did a, well, we almost, we almost did a surprise birthday uh, dinner with <laughs> 17 friends uh, at a restaurant here called Bang. It's a, a tapas, a Spanish tapas place. Um, it's one of her favorites. And they were great. The the, the chef, the, the kitchen was on top of things. The staff, the wait staff was great. About a few hours before we were going to leave for dinner, she was chatting with one of the girls that, that all the women here have a uh, like a group chat and the one lady was talking about and she said I can't wait to just get away from my kid for the night and see you guys for dinner. Oh. And the rest of the chat went silent and Elizabeth came to me and said, "Are we having dinner with Katie and, and Chris tonight? I, I looked up and I said, maybe why? And so, well, she mentioned it in the group chat and then everyone else disappeared. And I said, yeah, there, we, we have some plans for tonight. I guess the specifics will have to be the surprise, uh, <laughs> but still a, a wonderful dinner and a lot of friends. And then um, Elizabeth also wanted her time away, <laughs> away from the kids. It's a common theme, I think, for moms on, on their birthdays, get a little break. Uh, we went up, yeah, we went up to National Harbor uh, for an overnight where I had never been. Uh, our good friend and the very first guest on this podcast, I believe, Wes McElroy, uh, gave us some recommendations for some restaurants. We had a, a wonderful seafood lunch at Walrus and Oyster. I had the Chipino. I had raw oysters. I had clam chowder. And then a beautiful dinner right on the water at a place called Redstone Grill. Um, I had the um, Chilean sea bass and a lobster bisque. So very, very matching there in terms of seafood themes for for the birthday celebrations, but uh, a good time was had by all. Good. National Harbor's fabulous. Yeah, it really was. And we, we uh, had not been before, so we walked around. If you've never been to National Harbor, uh, they have a, a series of, of art, of statues uh, about, about the American way, important figures in American history and culture. Uh, so I've got a picture of me shaking hands with Abraham Lincoln, 
<laughs> we, we read a, a big plaque about history with George Washington, and we recreated that, that famous pose of the, uh, the Navy sailor kissing the, the woman out of the crowd. We had a, actually a very nice guy walk by right when we were doing it and he said, do you want me to take the picture? And it was okay. So I kind of put Elizabeth in my arms and we leaned over and I gave her the kiss. And he said, no, no, no. Her foot needs to be twisted up and your hand needs to be over wow. here. Yeah, he got into it. So we have a very good recreation of that statue, probably better than we were aiming for when we went to take the photo. But um, very good weekend all around for everybody. So uh, a lot of fun. And it's been a lot of fun, David, to watch UVA here of late. They kind of have, have found themselves again. They're back to the team that I saw when I went out with them to Las Vegas, uh, moving the ball, hitting three-pointers, playing stout defense. It, it appears that the Cavaliers, who are now up to 10 in the latest AP poll, uh, are back to hitting their stride. Is, is that a fair assessment? Mike, I know Virginia is two games behind Clemson in the ACC standings. I still think the Cavaliers are the best team in the league. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into Clemson and Miami and, and some of that top of the pack. But, David, the way they've been playing, Ben Vanderplas hitting threes again. Isaac McNeely, the freshman, really getting comfortable. Tony Bennett told us he told him to take off the parking brake. You got open shot, let it fly. He's been letting it fly, and he's been hitting. Um, so things have certainly looked good of, of late for the Cavaliers on, on both ends of the floor. Yes, um, defensively as well. You know, Tony Bennett, uh, when Armando Baycott went down against North Carolina, went small with with Vanderplas essentially at, at the five, playing with four guards, the three normal starters, plus the aforementioned Isaac McNeely off the bench, and it's working. Uh, I'm sure there will be, you know, it's not going to work all the time, and he's going to play big, and they'll need Jaden Gardner, and they'll need Caden Shedrick, and they'll need Big Poppy. You know how, how Tony likes to roll. Different guys will have to step up at different times, but right now, that small group is very effective. Yeah, they, they really have looked comfortable and confident, but you make a great point, and we've seen this from Tony Bennett over the years. Other players, other teams, if a guy doesn't get minutes for three, four games in a row, he's probably done, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you're not going to see him again. That's that's the rotation. Unless there's injuries, obviously things happen. But uh, Virginia's not like that. And, you know, Virginia, I always remembered it with Jay Huff before he was a starter and, and, and a really key piece. You know, Jay Huff might go four games without getting off the bench. He was just in his warmups. And then there'd be a matchup. It happened a few times with Duke where all of a sudden there was a matchup that they wanted him and he'd have this game. And, and you know, UVA fans thought he was like the unicorn. They, they had spotted the unicorn and there he was in all his beauty and then he would disappear again. So, yeah, I, I think this this lineup is working. Um, will it be the lineup for the rest of the season? No, it won't. <laughs> and they're going to need some size and some beef and some toughness. Um, but, yeah, they've been looking very effective. And I think that overlooked in this, Kihei Clark is – playing exactly the role that he is best at right now on this team. Um, you know, we saw years where he was the national championship year. He was kind of a, a smaller piece, right? He had less of a role, even though he was no pun intended. Yeah. Smaller piece. He was the smallest of the smaller pieces. And then there were a couple lean years there at UVA where he was the offense, right? They kind of leaned on him to, to be the scorer. And um, I don't know that that was always the, the best role for him, but right now, the way he's playing, uh, you know, this distributor taking and making offense when this team needs him, controlling the tempo, spearheading the defense. Um, to me, this is when Kihei Clark's at his best. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for the way things are rolling right now. 
Nine points, six assists, <clears throat> one turnover, five rebounds at Florida State the other day. That's pretty darn fine line uh, from Kihei Clark. And Mike, back to the other point about you know guys not getting much time and then Tony calling upon them. Ryan Dunn, Saturday, the freshman, 17 minutes, nine points, four boards, you know, that's and three block shots. You know, that's that's pretty darn impressive. Yeah, and, and real impressive for a younger player to be able mm-hmm. to handle some of that. Um, you know, if you're if you're middle-aged player, I don't know what you'd call it, guys who are sophomores and you've been around a little more, maybe you understand uh, the importance of being ready. But really impressive, uh, Dunn and McNeely, their kind of willingness to work, to really be ready, to be dialed in, and then make the most of their opportunities. And uh, it's why we continue to see them get those opportunities, because they're getting that done. And now it's up to Caden Shedrick to respond the same way to his decreased playing time, because there there is going to come moments where the Cavaliers will need him. And will he respond? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great question, and we could probably do a whole episode on Caden Shed, you talk about a unicorn. Um, there have been times that he looked like uh, the, the player that I think Virginia envisioned when they recruited him. I know he had a great showing throughout the, the Italy tour, and the team came back and the coaches came back um, really as high as they've been on him. And it, it just hasn't happened this season. Um, it's interesting. You know, Caden's taken a lot of uh, hard fouls, right? We saw him get chopped in the throat. We saw him get hit across the bridge of the nose. We saw him get elbowed over the eye. Um, he's taken a lot of shots, and he never seems to be the guy who that gets him going. And that's fine. Everybody's different, right? But the cliche of you get punched in the mouth, how are you going to respond? He hasn't been a big respond to punch in the mouth guy. So will he be a respond to decrease playing time guy? Does he have that, you know, the kids say, does he have that dog in him? Will he get that mean streak and, and elevate uh, or, or will he kind of fade? Because they are so much better with him on the floor as a rim protector, uh, setting screens, those kind of things. He's a valuable piece when he's doing the things he's supposed to be doing. 100%. And if he does respond, you know, I, I think the, the, the ceiling for this team is unlimited. Yeah, it, it hit him emerging, assuming that everything continues the way it's going, him emerging would be the missing piece to go from being maybe a very good, you know, sweet 16 kind of team to possibly elevating to, to a really special year uh, in Charlottesville. And, you know, here of late, it's it's been special. Uh, they've won five of their last six. Their last four games, they're shooting 43.6% from three. From three. I mean, right. that is that is the kind of number you hope to have your field goal percentage from all over the floor at. Uh, that's what they're doing from beyond the three-point arc. So a lot of things are, are going right for Virginia. Conversely, Ooh. you look at Virginia Tech. <sighs> yes, they've been out. Without Hunter Couture, elbow injury for the last four games. They've lost five in a row. And again, I know the narrative. We all lived it. It was a great story. They got off to a terrible start a year ago. Two and seven in league play. I think they lost their first four ACC games a year ago. Then they pull it out. They win, what, 11 of their last 12 in the regular season. They win four straight in Brooklyn to capture the program's first ACC tournament championship. Uh, But, and I talked to Mike Young about this today on the teleconference, this is not the path he wants to chart for his program. No. It's, it's not, let's get cold in January and dig a big hole and then become national darlings for digging out of it. It's, let's play good basketball. David, they have not been playing as good basketball here of late. That's the reason they're losing, right? 100%. And 
a lot of it is Hunter Couture mm-hmm. and what he means on, on both ends of the floor, Mike. The Hokies have suffered offensively and defensively. And coaches like to talk about next man up. Who's gonna who's gonna fill in when, when someone goes down or you know what other starters are going to elevate their game. Well, frankly, the Hokies have gone just the opposite. Some numbers. First 12 games, Sean Padula, 38.1% beyond the arc. Last five games, 24.3%. Justin Mutz, who's arguably as versatile a player as you'll find in the conference. Terrific passer, rebounder, scorer, defender. His turnover rate in the last five games has almost doubled to four and a half a game, Mike. I mean, you never saw that from Mutz last season. He's got 22 turnovers in the last five games. Grant Basile, you know, went five for 15 against Clemson, one for eight against NC State. And without Couture, they can't afford that. Those things are fatal when he's not in the in the game. Now, it goes both ways, David, right? Because without Couture is part of the reason we're getting those things, I think. Yes. I think there is a little Mutz pressing. I think there's a little Padula taking shots and feeling like he has to carry in offensive load. It felt early on that not you and I were great, and we knew that Sean Padula was a good player and a good scorer. It felt like opposing teams took a while before they really focus their defense on him and possibly everybody remembers what Couture can do from three right. uh, we, we saw so it, it did feel like the combination of Padula playing well putting some games on film Couture being out all of a sudden Padula's shots became harder Must was sure. pressing and it kind of took everything with it you know we can go back a couple episodes on this podcast we talked about how this team was really playing Mike Young basketball they were making the the extra pass. I remember after the Carolina game, I wrote my column on the fact that how many times did they pass on a good shot to get a great shot? Their assist-to-turnover ratio, they're second in the ACC still. That's off the strength of what they did in the first half of the season, not these last five games. And it started to turn, really, with that Boston College game. Um, mm-hmm. That Boston College game, they had 15 turnovers, only 12 assists. The next game against Wake Forest, 13 turnovers, 14 assists. Clemson, 11 turnovers, 12 assists. NC State, 11 turnovers, 12 assists. I thought they finally got it back against Syracuse in terms of ball security and ball movement. Now, they still didn't hit their shots. Right. They're 28 for 102 from three the last five games. That's 27.5%. That's not going to get it done. Uh, that's where they've been, these five losses. But they did have 19 assists in the last Syracuse game. And and just for if, if you're not familiar of how the statistic of an assist works, you can make a great pass, you can make the extra pass, and if the ball doesn't go in, <laughs> mm-hmm. there's no assist. So a part of that dip was balls not going into the hoop, but uh, it feels like they've gotten a little bit back to better ball security, better ball movement. Now it's a matter of can they knock down some of these shots. Well, and what must really gall the Hokies and their fans is – they go up there against Syracuse, which is very pedestrian defensively this season. The the 2-3 zone just isn't very good. And <clears throat> literally a couple nights later, Notre Dame goes in there and goes 15 of 37 right. from deep against the Orange. Now, the Irish didn't win the game, but that's because the Irish are <laughs> flat out dreadful defensively. But, you know, they... they they do. Virginia Tech has to shoot it better. And then 
I, I almost felt badly for not only Mike Young, but especially the young man. How long have people been asking, when's Rodney Rice going to play? When's Rodney Rice going to play? And Mike Young wasted no time throwing him off the deep end or into the deep end. He plays 30 minutes against Syracuse, and he's one for nine, 0 for five from three. I mean, I, I just felt badly for all parties concerned because he's better than that. Yeah, and, and he will be yes. a difference maker. He will shoot the ball well. He'll score for them. But it, it, it did feel, David, watching that game, because I didn't go for that. I, I watched it. It did feel like here was the moment that Rice was going to come off the bench and he was going to spark the offense. He was going to hit a bunch of shots and it was going to be that easy turning point in the season where you say, okay, they got that extra shooter back and all of a sudden they were good again. And then it just didn't. It didn't happen. And you could feel it as you were watching it. It's just not going to be his night. Um, now, they're expecting to get Hunter Couture back. I know they've said this a few times that they thought he was close. Mm-hmm. But Mike Young said today he expects to have him Wednesday night against Virginia. Uh, that should make a huge difference. Does it solve everything? Does everybody get their stroke back just because Couture is out there? Maybe not. But should make a big difference, especially in this matchup, correct? You would certainly think so. And there has to be, and I'm sure there is, an air of, of desperation in Blacksburg. Mike, you've looked at the schedule. I'm sure fans have. But just as a reminder, this is Virginia Tech's upcoming schedule. At Virginia, at Clemson, home against Duke, rematch at home against Syracuse, at Miami, home against Virginia. Oof. And it, it is the kind of stretch, and this is what the ACC, when it's good, does to programs. And it's why you, you think about trying to rebuild at Pittsburgh or trying to rebuild at Virginia like Tony Bennett did. When you're down in the ACC and the ACC is good, nobody takes their foot off your throat. <laughs> no. Right? And Virginia Tech, I still think, is good. And I still think they can be good this season. But the league's got its foot right by that throat right now. And there is a certain, you know, certainly a chance in the next few weeks for them to kind of stomp down. And um, could Virginia be the tipping point? You know, it's a, it's a rivalry game. You always you throw out the records and all those cliches. But I, I think you're right too that it just feels like the team has to be aware. And I thought Mike Young said something interesting today on the teleconference when I asked him about, "Hey, did you go back and, and point out, hey, we were in a bad hole last year, and look what you all did?" And he he essentially scolded me (laughs) it basically said i don't know that i want this team to take that tact right i don't want them to feel like it's okay we can pull it out at the end because there's a inherent lack of urgency with that mindset right that it's going to be okay well it's january 16th and i think mike wants them to feel a little bit like it's not okay and it isn't going to be okay if you don't get turned around and that starts right now with your rivalry game against virginia it absolutely does and you know if if they don't get of those six games, if the Hokies don't get at least a couple, yeah. then in in terms of the NCAA tournament, they're done with it with an at large bid, and then they're going to have to rely on Greensboro, and that is a gauntlet that they are unlikely to run again. I mean, unlikely for anyone to do it the way they did it. Right. <laughs> Certainly the, the drama of that, you know, the overtime, the Maddox and, and it, but just, it feels like a stronger year and we're going to get into that, but it feels like a stronger year for the league, making it even more difficult. The good news, if you're Virginia Tech, you've won two of the last three, 
right, against UVA. Mm-hmm. Now, you haven't won in Charlottesville since 2018, I guess, and that was that one-point overtime win. Uh, but they've won two of the last three meetings. This, the games in this series have been competitive. Um, I think there's only a couple. It was uh, 2020 in Charlottesville was 65-39. But otherwise, these games have been competitive. If this matchup and Couture's return brings out the best in the Hokies, and Virginia keeps doing what they've been doing, great defensively, hitting threes, this has a chance to be a heck of a ball game. Oh, yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. And I I think the atmosphere will be really good, especially now that, you know, the Cavaliers have it kicked into gear. Uh, I'm I'm really looking forward. And I expect it to be competitive. I'd be very surprised if it gets sideways at JPJ on Wednesday. Yeah, it was interesting hearing the two coaches talk about the familiarity, right, that these mm-hmm. teams have with each other. And yes, it's because a lot of players are back on both sides, certainly everybody at Virginia, uh, a number of key pieces at, at Virginia Tech. But the coaches, the coaches now have been going against each other for a few years. Uh, they've got some familiarity. And- I admire the, the, the matchup. I admire the the rivalry. I admire. Uh, I admire playing those guys. Um, I admire their team. Always have. Uh, they play the right way. Uh, there's nothing, you know, goofy. There's no smoke and mirrors. Um, you know, I think both teams know exactly what the other's going to do. And uh, it's a matter of playing good basketball and being sound and getting shots contested. And then, you know, on the other end, you know, you're you're execution offensively better be on point or they're going to get you um so uh great admiration for uh those guys up there and how they go about their business and and again i do i always look forward to uh, the competition um as good as they are uh, it's uh it's 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 great basketball and, and it's a it's a pleasure to be a part of it all right david so Tony Bennett knows what to expect from Mike Young. Mike Young knows what to expect from Tony Bennett. I'm going to put you on the spot. What do you expect to happen in this game? I think Virginia will win. Uh, I just think right now the the Cavaliers are too good defensively uh, for Virginia Tech to to get healthy in a hurry. And we we know that's what they need. They they need offense, and this is the wrong team in the wrong venue to be hunting offense. Yeah, I, I'm I'm inclined to agree. I, I think there's a part of me that wants to say, okay, this is the perfect opponent because there's going to be emotion, and 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 you won't be focused on the losing streak. You'll be focused on the opponent because of who it is. Uh, but the problems that Tech is having aren't problems that match up well with Virginia. <laughs> no. I think you're completely right there. So I, I think that even though the emotion will be high, I think Virginia Tech will play hard. Like I said, I saw improvement in the Syracuse game in ball security, ball movement. Uh, they really need to see some balls go in the hoop early uh, if they're going to be able to, to hang around and, and make this a, a really competitive evening, which I think we all hope that, that it will be. Well, Talking about competitive, talking about around the ACC, and we've had some surprises. It's been a little bit uh, maybe different than, than what you and I were looking for. Um, I don't think either of us had Clemson atop the league, uh, even though I think we thought Clemson could be pretty good. I don't think we had him at 7-0 in, in league play, Miami up there. Uh, let's start with Clemson. Let's start with the Tigers. They're 7-0 and in the ACC. They've got a win here over Duke, a win over Pitt. How real is Brad Brownell's Clemson team? Quite. Uh, I, I really like it, really like his team, and more important, so does he. And the reason he likes it is 
like many coaches, when they have this situation, it is an old, old roster. He has got guys like Chase Hunter and Hunter Tyson and P.J. Hall and Brevin Galloway, the transfer from Boston College, who's from right there in Anderson, South Carolina, came home to play for the hometown team, who have played a ton of college basketball and not much phases them. And you really saw it last week when the Tigers won in Blacksburg and at Pittsburgh, and then when they came home and beat Duke. Uh, just so impressed by, by those wins, end-of-game situation, poise, uh, that they've got it going on right now. And they had some bad losses early uh, to Loyola of Chicago and to South Carolina, but Brad Brownell tweaked his lineup. He's going with a bigger group as, as opposed to Tony Bennett going smaller, and it's worked. And instead of playing the four, Hunter Tyson's now at the three, and it, it's freed him up some, and they're a problem. Yeah, I really like this team. They are old. They are a veteran. I think what impresses me most is that it's not guys who've, and I'm not knocking them, but it's not guys who have been stars for two, three, four years. There's a bunch of guys who put in some time, right, and have gotten better at Clemson, have gotten better as they've played games. Um, it's, you know, I don't know, in football, we talk a lot about being a developmental program. It feels like they did a nice job developing some of those guys into the kind of guys who could star. Then they went out and got a piece or two to kind of finish it off. They've won seven in a row. They've beaten some of the teams that we think are going to be there at the end. Uh, I know Brad Brownell, I, I've always liked him. I, I think he's one of the better, more underrated coaches in the conference in the country. I thought he came in with a pretty hot seat this year oh and the, yeah and the fact that football isn't doing what we're used to it doing at clemson mm-hmm. kind of ramped it up because we've said on this podcast before that brad brownell gets to skate a little bit because it's a football school and all eyes are on Dabo and what they're doing and when things are humming there that everybody's just kind of happy <laughs> uh it, brad brownell and the basketball team that's who's making uh people happy right now and in, in death valley down in clemson no doubt and you know really interesting game tomorrow night in Winston-Salem, with Clemson going to Lawrence Joel to, to play Wake Forest. Clemson just clocked the Deacons earlier in, in the season, uh, in, the, in the second half, and, and one going away. Uh, expect nothing resembling that lopsided game tomorrow night. Uh, in fact, you know, were, were, were I a betting man? I think Clemson's seven and O streak ends tomorrow night. Doesn't mean I think anything less of Clemson. I think Wake's pretty good too. I'm, I'm glad you brought up Wake and, and all the new pieces and the complete rebuild that Steve Forbes has done again. That becoming Gee, that, I was going to say that sounds familiar, right? That's and, and hey, kudos to him, right. right? Kudos to him for finding not just good players in the portal, but players who are going to match what he wants to do, who are going to match each other, uh, who are going to fit together and who he can figure out how to win with. Wake Forest is one of five teams right now that is five and two in ACC play. Mm-hmm. It's UVA, who we talked about, Wake Forest, Miami, Pittsburgh, and Syracuse. They're all five and two. They've all gotten their little different ways, but but that's all they are in league play. Uh, who do you like the best in that group of five and two teams? And I think you and I probably both fall in the same answer, so we might have to go a second round on this one. 
Well, I, we were saying earlier, I think Virginia is the favorite in the league. So I think Virginia is the best of the five and twos. If you ask me to rank those five teams, yeah. I would say Virginia, Miami, Wake, Pitt, Syracuse. And Miami fans are screaming because they beat Virginia head-to-head. I know, so but that, it was in Coral Gables. Oh, I'm with you. I was there for that game. Beekman wasn't healthy, and uh, Virginia nearly pulled it out anyway. But uh, after voting in the football poll, people are – I know <laughs> I know the reaction that, that people will have. But I, I'm inclined to agree with you. I, I think that um, – I think Miami's really good. Um, so it's not taken away from them. But I think Virginia, to, to me, Virginia at its best is better than everybody in the ACC. Mm-hmm. Now – Will they always be there? Part of Virginia at its best means they're hitting enough shots offensively that they're getting back and getting set defensively. That team, that team is the sky's the limit for. Now, when they're missing their threes and they're trying to race back in transition, but you're getting to shoot the ball or go to the rim against a broken defense, they're still good, right? But they're not great. They're not the, the team that we think could be dominant. Uh, Miami, they've got some work to do defensively. Offensively, they're outstanding, and and I remember going in that game, talking to some of the players and about their unselfishness and their ability to share the ball, their assist totals. And a few of the players told me, "Hey, when you got five guys on the court who can fill it up, you don't mind passing the ball because it, it's not going to be a turnover, it's not going to be a miss, it's not going to be an empty possession. Uh, you give up the ball and you feel like you're going to score as a team." Or if you take the shot, you're going to score. So they're in a great place offensively. They've got some work to do defensively. Pittsburgh really surprised me. Um, I thought they were a little bit of a fluke. And then I saw what they did to Virginia in terms of going right at them. Um, everybody always talks about Pittsburgh. Okay, it's a blue-collar town, and they, they're going to be a blue-collar team. But they were physical. They put their head down and fearlessly went to the rim. They drove into what should have been the, the toughest part of that pack line, uh, and they got it done. So they opened my eyes. And, and you know, here at Syracuse, they seem to be figuring it out late. They've won two in a row. Um, you know, they, they did not look good coming out of the gate. Still major questions about them defensively. It's an interesting group. I would say this, David, Clemson and those five teams we just mentioned, NC State seems to be putting it together, a couple big wins in a row here, and then you get to Duke and Carolina. Right. I think Duke and Carolina are really good still. Um, are they national championship, ACC champ? I don't know that yet, but um, but how many teams did we just name, right? We just nine. named, what, eight, nine, nine. teams? Yeah. Uh, yeah, nine teams with NC State. Nine teams that we think are – NCAA tournament caliber, pretty good. If nothing else, I think the ACC has established it's better than it was. Or if you believe it was just underrated last year, I think the ACC has acquitted itself quite well uh, up to this point in mid-January. I believe it has. I mean, the non-conference was still not great, and uh, the winning percentage was a little better, but but not by much, and not a lot of absent Virginia, not a lot of signature wins. Um, but you know, I, I, I think come selection Sunday, the ACC will fare better than a year ago when it was just five dangerously close to just four and perhaps even three, because Virginia tech wouldn't have gotten in had it not won the ACC tournament and Notre Dame was in the first four in Dayton. Yep. So it it was epically close to three of 15 ACC teams making the NCAA tournament. Uh, there will be no such uh, tension for the folks in Greensboro 
this March. Yes. But uh, they're they're looking. At, I would think at least half a dozen, and if things break right, maybe maybe eight. Yeah, I see seven and eight has got to be what you're you're hoping for if you're the mm-hmm. ACC right now. By the way, things are going. Uh, Pitt, Syracuse, NC State, will they hold up? Um, to me, those are the ones that are the question marks. Um, I think Duke and Carolina get there. I think Clemson, Miami, Virginia, uh, Wake, I think they're there. But Syracuse, NC State, uh, and Pittsburgh are the kind of group that I'm curious to see what they do. And if, if you're the ACC commissioner, the commissioner of the moment, at least, Jim Phillips, <laughs> then I, th- I think you've um, you got to hope those teams pull out some more big wins because to me, they're the bubble. I mentioned Duke and Carolina. They're not buried. They're at four and three in the league standings, and obviously they've had some big matchups non-conference as they always do. It's not too early, right? To, or it is too early to give up on the. Oh yeah, right. We still have high hopes for these teams this year. Yes, Duke needs to get healthy. Yeah, Duke needs Jeremy Roach back. There, there's, there's no question about that. He's, he's the engine at, at the point, and he's dealing with, with the toe injury. And doesn't sound like he he's a go anytime imminently, um, but but hopefully uh, before too long he he's back on the floor. Mike, I was I was looking at some numbers earlier today. Duke is shooting forty three point one percent as a team. Were that to continue, it would be the worst Duke shooting team. Since 1960. That's, that is a way back in the way back machine stat. Uh, and it tells you kind of how things have been going. Yeah. They, they, they have no consistent three-point threat. None. And, you know, John Shire talked today, you know, we've got to be inside out. You know, and, and, and that starts with the big freshman, Kyle Filipowski, and you know they need paint touches. They you know they they need you know Derek uh, the the freshman to, to to go in there and you know and and drive. Um, but uh, they they've got to get better on the offensive end. And it's not often that that you say that about a Duke squad. What have you seen so far from John Shire? It's such an interesting position to be in. And I think, and I, I know I've said before, I think Mike Krzyzewski was underappreciated taking all that talent each year, essentially a new roster, uh, all the one and dones and forming them into a team. J- John Calipari had some, obviously some great success doing that Kentucky. What have you seen from, from John Shire as how he's handled uh, this year? I think he's handled it quite well. You know, he's, <clears throat> you know, I mentioned Derek Whitehead, Mark Mitchell, you know Tyrese Proctor, Filipowski, Derek Lively. You know he's he's these are his recruits. Yes, Mike Shashevsky was the coach last year, but he divorced himself from off-campus recruiting. He told John Shire, "You go build your team," and that's what Shire did, and he's continued to do that. He's getting terrific commitments for the class of twenty-four. So it's just a matter of okay, now let's see, can you coach them up? Can you develop them? And he's, you know, he's had a, a hard time because, you know, not only is, is Roach hurt now, but Lively and Whitehead were hurt early in the season. He hasn't had his group yet. And once he gets his group, and then you combine that with the grad transfers like Ryan Young and Grandison 
you know, they've got a, they've absolutely got a chance to be a factor in March, not just in the league, but nationally. That's what we were saying about North Carolina with Armando Baycott and all that talent back, the addition of Pete Nance. Nance has been hurt. Baycott's been hurt in and out of the lineup. Um, have you changed your mind on your ceiling for Carolina? I think you and I both came in thinking, I mean, that had the makings of, of a Final Four type team. Mm-hmm. Have, have you changed your mind on the ceiling of, of what they can be? I, I haven't, Mike, just simply because of last season. And you can spin it either way and say, okay, they underachieved during the regular season, you know, bottoming out with that home loss to Pitt when you thought, are the Tar Heels going to make the tournament? <laughs> and it was a legit question. It, it wasn't hyperbole. And then all of a sudden they're playing Monday night in New Orleans and they're ahead by, what, 16 points against Kansas in maybe an Armando Baycott sprained ankle away from winning the national championship. So which team was the real Carolina? And you return four starters off that group and you, you add Pete Nance, uh, the transfer from Northwestern, and you think, okay, ought to be humming, but it hasn't. Um, I think, and you know, I don't want to put it all on him, but you know, Caleb Love just, you know, he hit one of the greatest shots in the history of Carolina basketball to take down Duke at the Final Four and end Mike Krzyzewski's career. That was as cold-blooded a three as you will ever see. But the flip side of that is you never know when he's going to pull up and what kind of head-scratching shot he's going to take. And it's not translating this year. Yeah, I, I wonder sometimes if there's a, a, a level of disinterest uh, with, with love, it almost feels like. Uh, you know, a year ago, Hubert Davis talked about having to coach effort out of his team. Mm-hmm. Only Armando Baycott brought it night in, night out. Um, and I wonder if some of that hasn't bled back in at Carolina. When I see that much talent, but that much inconsistency, right? There's got to be an explanation. And the first one that comes to mind is, is Hubert back to having to coach effort out of these guys to get them to want it? And do they feel like, hey, let's just kind of coast along, get to March, and then we'll turn it on again. And uh, hey, if it ends with you hanging a banner, (laughs) right? Nobody's going to (laughs) complain. But uh, I think they still have some work to do to get to that level of play this year with this year's group. Couldn't agree more. I'll tell you who's not having to coach effort, and that's Kevin Keats. Yeah. And NC State plays hard. That was a heck of an overtime win against Miami on Saturday at home, a very important one. And they are playing well, and their metrics are good. They are well positioned to to make the NCAA tournament. And Casey Morsell, we saw at, at Virginia, he is shooting at a clip, Mike, that he didn't approach when he was at UVA. Overall and beyond the arc, he remains a terrific defender. And then I don't know how much you've seen of NC State, but DJ Burns, <laughs> the, the the wide body transfer from Winthrop is a blast to watch. Uh, heaven knows I wouldn't want to try to guard him on yeah. the low block, but he can he can score. 
he 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 moves his feet. He's a superb passer, instinctive rebounder. He's just fun. If you are like me, and I think you specifically are, you hate to see coaching changes from guys who uh, you like you think are working hard, and you think are doing well, right? Guys are going to lose games, uh, especially in the ACC. Teams are going to play each other, and somebody's going to lose. Uh, the guys who were, I thought were on the hot seat this year, Brad Brownell, Kevin Keats, and Jeff Capel, I like all three of them. I think all three are good basketball coaches, and maybe the thing I've enjoyed most about this season is their teams are playing their butts off, their teams yep. are playing well, and those seats are cooling. And uh, I think that's good, and I think it's good for the ACC because – the ACC also, at its best, has coaches who have been positioned for a long time. Um, anytime you have those coaching changes, you get a little turmoil, you get a little reset, you get a little unknown. Uh, stability is, is what can make programs great, and uh, it's good to see those three in particular kind of getting their ships righted. Absolutely, and you know, kind of going back to the to the theme with with Tony Bennett in Virginia and, and guys coming off the bench in unexpected moments. You know, Ernest Ross the other day for for Carolina, he he'd score or for NC State, he'd scored thirty seven points the entire season. He was he was averaging fewer than two points a game and just getting in for you know a, a minute here and a minute there. He goes off for seventeen points, nine rebounds, six of them on the offensive end in just twenty two minutes. I, yeah. It, where did this cat come from? Now he, he he broke an ankle last year that ended his his freshman season, and he was a he was a very well regarded recruit. And you know Kevin Keats was was saying today, you know we saw some flashes of this last year, and and now we just we need him to to, to continue this. Yeah, all of these programs to be successful. Over the course of a long season, they're going to get contributions or they're going to need to get contributions from guys who aren't the top line marquee stars. And to me, that goes to coaching and and the overall health of your program, what everybody calls culture. Do you have guys putting in the work, um, the Ryan Dunn's, the Ross, the the guys who are they putting in the work behind the scenes so that when you need them, they're ready. Uh, And we've seen a lot of those names in the ACC, and, and that's what's leading to some of the success. David, I mentioned stability. Stability of coaches, stability of your program. You tackled this topic going into the weekend. Is there stability in the commissioner's office? Before we get out of here, I'm going to ask you because we just saw Kevin Warren, uh, you know, the the conductor there of, of one of the the biggest uh, deals in, in college sports when he uh, kind of upended college football with, with his Big Ten additions, uh, going west, young man. Uh, he's out. He's going to be the president of the Chicago Bears. Opens a job at the Big Ten office where ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips uh, has a lot of connections, a lot of history, a lot of ties. What's your uh, handicapping of, of that situation? First of all, Mike, if the Big Ten doesn't call Jim Phillips, they're crazy because he he, he checks all the boxes. And after the the tumult of the, the, the Kevin Warren era, all of three years I think what the Big Ten really needs is some stability mm-hmm. and someone who knows the college space. Kevin Warren didn't know college athletics when he came 
to the league office from the Minnesota Vikings. He's an NFL guy and was always looking to get back there. This was never going to be a destination job for him. Power five commissioner jobs usually are destination gigs and have been for decades. Look at John Swafford. Look at Jim Delaney. You know, look, look at the SEC and the stability they have had. <clears throat> so uh, would Jim Phillips, after just two years on the job uh, in the ACC, be interested in a homecoming. He is a Chicago native. That's where the Big Ten office is located. His family is still there because his youngest son is in high school and he and his wife, for very good reason and completely understood, uh, wanted him to, to be able to finish schooling w- with his friends and his classmates. So he's yet to re- relocate his family to, to North Carolina. He's a University of Illinois graduate. He is a former Northwestern athletic director who, by all accounts, came very close to getting the job when it went to Kevin Warren three years ago. Uh, it, it, it'll be fascinating to, to, to watch uh, be, because the presidents who make these decisions of the, of the 14 Big Ten presidents who hired Kevin Warren and who interviewed Jim Phillips only three of them remain in those positions. So the room has changed and handicapping the room, therefore, becomes darn near impossible. It's a fascinating story to watch to me because on the one hand, I would say Jim Phillips would have been the wrong hire based on what Kevin Warren was able to do. I don't think Jim Phillips makes those cutthroat backroom deals to bring those West Coast teams into the Big Ten. Well, Micah, I would then argue that he would have been the right hire (laughs) because I think USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten is preposterous. But but that may may just be me saying, get off my lawn. No, I I agree. That's an episode for another day. I think you and I fall into the line of thought of Jim Phillips, which can be viewed as Pollyannish. But, you know, what's what's good for a conference may not be good for college athletics overall. Yes. And Jim Phillips is, is a little Don Quixote going against the windmills here, mm-hmm. but believes that you should be doing what's best for college athletics. At the same time, I wonder, maybe this plays out perfectly if you're the Big Ten. You went out and got your cutthroat mercenary. He went and got you these two big money West Coast programs, mm-hmm. cutting a deal that somebody like Jim Phillips probably wouldn't want any part of. And now you can turn your league over to this guy who is what college athletics should be about. You know, maybe you hand him these pieces and say, look, you got this. This is what we're at. Now go ahead and do the right thing. Now that we've put you, you're you're the tall stack of chips at the poker table now. And you you would be, and you are in the Big Ten. Um, I think Jim Phillips has done an admirable job. Yeah in the ACC under very trying circumstances. I mean, he, he knew he inherited a long-term television contract that was disadvantageous to the conference. He knew he was coming in at the back end of a pandemic. All those things. What he didn't know was that the SEC was then going to go get Oklahoma and Texas and that the Big Ten was then going to get USC and UCLA. And that the Supreme Court was going to kick the NCAA's ass. <laughs> and <laughs> seriously, and, and 
basically upend everything and make everyone in Indianapolis and NCAA HQ and the membership so afraid of doing anything and so afraid of further litigation that they're now on their hands and knees begging Congress for antitrust help. I mean, it's what college, the crossroads that college athletics stands at cannot be overstated. So, you know, amid all that, I think he has done as well as anyone could have hoped. Um, but the, the Big Ten, for all its financial advantages, like the Big Ten hasn't won a national college basketball men's championship in more than 20 years. The, the, the Big Ten, the, the college football playoff has been on the books for nine seasons. The Big Ten is three and seven in the college football playoff. The little old ACC is six and six, you know, second only to the SEC. So it, it it's fascinating to me how, n- number one, the ACC continues to do more with less. And I think you can argue that the Big Ten does less with more. I agree with you. Jim Phillips agrees with you. You know what Kevin Warren says? Right. Kevin Warren says, look at my television contract. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Kevin Warren says, look what the, the Big Ten is winning and their TV deal. And to be fair, that feels like what Kevin Warren was brought in to say. Right. Yeah. To, mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I think, you know, you and I both love the way Jim Phillips looks at college athletics. And if he could take that to the Big Ten, that might be good for everybody. But I think the Big Ten, the SEC are where they are because that's not their approach. In the end, I wonder if it's a good fit. You went over all the reasons it's a great fit for him personally, his background, his connections from a mindset and a, here's that word again, culture. I don't know if Jim Phillips and the Big Ten are a culture fit, but uh, we'll find out and that'll be something to to look into, I'm sure, at a future episode. Awesome. Thanks for your help and uh, I will see you Wednesday. All right, brother. All right. Have a good one.